0: Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavastin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count.
1: And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but Daniel's son, the annuals don't count. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Amazing
0: Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks again for joining us for this special review episode of The Amazing Spider-Talk.
1: Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 63, Legacy Number 864, which is part of The King's Ransom. It's Part 1. Amazing Spider-Man Number 63 was written by Nick Spencer, with art by Federico Vincentini, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by V.C.'s Joe Caramanga, and a cover by Mark Bagley john dell and edgar delgado this issue was first released on april 7th 2021 dan uh i know when our regular listeners are hearing this in real time it'll be many weeks after this but i'm sorry i missed you last night but why don't we get into the new issue here and and, and make up for lost time what? our good friend Federico Vincentini. You know, it seems like he is now a part of this cast of creators on this book. This issue in particular seems like a bit of a spotlight for him. What, what did you do you have anything specifically positive or negative to say about Mr. Vincentini here Dan or what, what are your thoughts? You're the art guy. Give me give me give me the give me the lowdown.
0: Yeah, um I you know I I feel like, you know, one I think his style is really developed and I I think it's a, you know, one of the looser Styles that we've ever gotten, you know, in, in Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, it has like a like a, kind of like a manga feel to it, and I, I I do appreciate that they're kind of letting him kind of run with his very unique uh, take on this. It reminds me of like early Ramos. I know early Ramos wasn't in Amazing Spider-Man. He developed his style on on the kind of B titles. I do think his stuff is better than early Ramos, but I, I'm very curious to watch this guy grow I, and at least to me, it almost seems like happenstance that he ended up on amazing. Like, you know, he, he did some of last remains and I wonder if he was just kind of like filling in with, for someone, but the response was so positive that he was brought back on, you know, I still think there's room for development, like his kingpin, something about it just doesn't really work for me, but like his Norman and action and stuff are just amazing. And that's not to say even just Mary Jane's great looking, you know, I think he's a great fit for the book and a, a nice kind of stretch of styles for Amazing Spider-Man.
1: I also feel like certainly like the Spider, the new Spidey suit kind of felt a little more alive and dynamic, certainly than it did last issue. And that's not to, to take anything away from Patrick Gleeson, who's really great, but you know what I mean? Like it, it just, I don't know, felt a little bit more part of the action again. And then some of that also might have been the script. Ramos is definitely, I think, a good comparative. And like you said, he's a little... Little less messy than early Ramos, but like that that kind of fun kinetic nature that Ramos would further refine over the course of his career. Like you can kind of see see the influences here from Vincentini. He's kind of like
0: Otley with a lot more
1: energy in in his work. Otley Otley is to McFarlane what Vincentini is to Larson. How does that, does that make sense to you? Is that a good, uh, this is to that? So what what do you call those things? Analogies or what? (laughs) Sure, sure. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. No, I just, I feel like Otley kind of plays up like the, 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 the big, the bigger robust stuff more in his art. Whereas Vincentini kind of plays around more with like, you know the the word I always come to, and I always use this with Ramos too, is like the kinetic energy of Spider Man. You know, like the the this the I mean, if anything, it's more Dicko influenced than anything else. It's that you know he's this wiry kind of I don't want to say grotesque, but creepy moving superhero. It's not it's not meant to always be super actiony and heroic the way I feel like McFarlane and Ramita and 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 then Otley uh, ended up going with the character so.
0: I'm ready to get more covers from him you know like I, I i i thought the bagley cover here was fine i'm ready for to see some vincentini like really cut loose on some covers i know i, I you know we have a commission coming from him i'm awaiting on the artwork to send out to everybody but i've seen scans of it and it's really dynamic and i i can only imagine him like kind of providing some you know memorable covers for us for for me this cover was kind of like you know, it's like one of those movie posters Where it's just a bunch of people standing around For a book with this much, like, movement in it You know, I, I, I felt like the cover was a little bit A little staid But yeah, anyway, so like getting, you know, turning the cover and and the artist side, let's get into some of the content here. I mean, we have to check in on Kindred, so sound that Kindred alarm. And uh, (laughs) there it is. Norman uh, is here. He's talking to Kindred as he's want to do. You know, he suggests that he's had a breakthrough with Normie, which we saw, you know, a couple issues ago where he and Normie met on the roof and talked about their kind of familial history with each other. And he holds up the photo that he had showed Normie of Harry and him when they were younger and, you know, acknowledges that Harry probably doesn't remember that day and says that he would do anything to go back to the day that something happened and, and do it again, you know, like, or, <laughs> like maybe make a different choice. Uh, is there is there something that you felt like he was talking about in, in the context here If you had to guess what he's referring to?
1: I, I mean, let's be honest here. When it comes to Norman Osborne and his lifelong career of regrets, there are there are quite a few. <laughs> no, nothing specific came to mind. I kind of, I'm sure Nick Spencer has something specific in mind since he wrote it. But like, honestly, like it 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 could be one of countless things from the history of these two characters. And I'm sure we will learn more at some point. But I, I, I don't have a specific guess here. If that makes me a, a chump, I apologize. <laughs> do,
0: do you feel like the implication here, beyond what it is, the implication here is that whatever that choice was, was a contributing factor into why Harry is kindred?
1: Well, I mean, if if we can kind of jump ahead to the next scene, because I think it that might be related here, is you know we, we we get to see kingpin with baron mordo uh, which i guess you know if we're going to have doctor strange involved in this story you got to have you got to have ba- the baron here and and one of the things that i like imme- that immediately struck me about this exchange is you know kingpin is you know kind of pressuring him about the this demon and you know what do you know about him and you know similar to the scene with strange and mephisto a few issues ago it's like Nobody, nobody who deals in the, in the underworld in Marvel seems to have any idea where Kindred came from, which, you know, to the point you were just making indicates that, you know, despite the fact that Kindred is demonic in nature, he may not be of that realm. I think he might be probably of the earthly realm, (laughs) if that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought much about that, but it does seem fairly clear now that you're laying it out.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's like every time it's like, you know, what do you know about this demon? It's like, oh, well, he's not one of mine. You know, like everyone is like not playing, you know, it's it's kind of like when when there's a terrorist attack and all the terrorists take credit for it. It's like no one is claiming credit for this demon, which to me is a sign that maybe he's not from hell. He might just be, you know, someone that was manipulated on uh, on in the living realm. Could Norman be been, been responsible for a kindred or, or somebody else? Who knows? But I think it's all part of the the grand mystery here. I mean, like certainly, you know, having the ability to kill and bring Peter back over and over again is interesting. Although was that real or was that, you know, like one of those Mysterio esque hallucination kind of things. We don't know.
0: I have to admit, you know, from this conversation, I am a bit confused about the mechanics of it because like, I guess it's maybe like, I don't really know what the ultimate MacGuffin is here because like, I don't know, are they chasing The Tablet of Life and Death? Or are they chasing something related to Kindred? Like, I thought that Kingpin was going to try to sidestep Kindred by using the Tablet of Life and Death, but then here he kind of implies that he's using it to pay off Baron Mordo, who can change Kindred's mind. I'm really confused by, like, who wants what in this scenario and the mechanics of it all. Not to mention that, like... Like when we'll get to this, I thought that Spider-Man and Boomerang had already gotten all of the tablet pieces and had them stolen from them except for one. So like I'm I'm confused about that. I just feel like there's like so many moving pieces in this story that continues to get increasingly more complicated. Enough that it almost seems like there's two whole warring factions, right? You've got a magician. Now I've got a wizard or whatever the thing is from Falcon and Winter Soldier that denotes sorcerer versus wizard. (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, were you confused at all by the kind of like specific mechanics of like who's got what piece that's influencing what thing?
1: some of the stuff with Kingpin and his motivations was clouded by the fact that, and I'm trying to remember if you actually did it on the air of this show or just in conversation with me, but you kind of like laid out your whole theory about, okay, I think Kingpin wants the tablet to sidestep Kindred so that he can get Vanessa back and then yada, yada, yada. So that kind of like started painting my impression of what was happening here. So yeah, in the moment when Kingpin is like offering the tablet pieces of the tablet is kind of like a incentive for Mordo. it 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 certainly was like wait what you know like what's going on here i mean again the bigger question to me goes back to if kindred's origins are truly in question here i mean to me it also then question it puts in question what what are exactly are his powers here and what how how does he actually help kingpin here i mean you know, maybe, maybe why, maybe the reason why Kindred is not helping Kingpin is because Kindred can't help Kingpin. It just seems odd to me that, like, you know, Kingpin is like putting all of his stock in this character to, you know, t- to give him what he ultimately seeks after, where he's like basically going to what is what could be considered more powerful characters to be like, well, you, 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 you help me with this guy who may not be able to help me. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 it just seems like a lot of self-owning going on here. And I don't know if that's supposed to be what what's coming across.
0: <laughs> you know, getting to the next thing with Spider-Man and boomerang continuing to look for these tablet pieces. I mean, I, like I said, I thought that they had already kind of assembled it and then had it snatched away from them and, they had this one last piece that they had to keep hidden. Maybe I'm wrong. Was, I mean, uh, w- was that your understanding as well, or am I misremembering this? I mean, this was over a year ago. <laughs> um, yeah, right. That's true.
1: And I feel like we're just revisiting that. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember it clearly. I felt like th- there was still something out there that they were looking for. I don't, I don't, I didn't get the impression that everything was was accounted for. So. But I could I could be misremembering now too. Now I, I either way we have all of these goons coming after Spider Man and Boomerang. I found these scenes to be fun from a visual standpoint. I felt like to me this is where the book was at its best with Vin- Vintantini, like the Hammerhead stuff, and then even the like the Owl. I don't remember the last time that the Owl has come across as like an intimidating force in comics for me. But like I felt th- I felt like it worked here. Like I actually felt the threat of him and his goons here and the way like they kind of like frames the action in in this sequence uh, also like as i was saying earlier i felt like the suit was being pretty well used here uh, you know and and we even had like a scene where fred and and spider-man are kind of interacting and i'm like does he really not know that peter is spider-man because it just, just seems preposterous to me <laughs> at this point like like we're really str- i mean i know Fred is an airhead, but I mean, to me, this is like straining all bits of, you know, credibility here.
0: <laughs> I got a lot, of, a lot to unpick from uh, from what you just said. A couple things, really quickly. I, I I really like the action here too. I do think sometimes it's a little too visually cluttered. Like to me, Hammerhead kind of disappeared into his goons, and I was like having trouble figuring out exactly what was going on between him and Spider-Man. But one of the things that I was really happy about, and I, I feel like you probably share this sentiment, is for anybody who's read the gang war story, I was really pleased here that we're not really focusing on the gang war elements of this. It's kind of like a chase sequence where all these baddies are showing up and we don't necessarily really have to worry about the complicated inner dynamics of, like, who is going after what. I mean, like, we have, like, Crime Master... And like, yeah, he's changing his territory or the Owl and Boomerang are fighting, or the Owl and Hammerhead are fighting each other because they're warring factions. But I felt like the, the the through line still remained Spider-Man and Boomerang, not all these criminals bickering over New York. And so, yes, it is a gang war of sorts, but that wasn't really the driving force. It's not really a repeat of that. And that actually made me really happy because it makes me think, For the many remaining parts of this story, which is going to go on for quite a bit and then have a giant size thing to wrap it up. We're not going to be focused on just that, which I feel like we've gotten plenty of stories spiral included. You know, I'm excited that this seems to be that's the background to other things happening. And I thought that was refreshing.
1: Want to talk a little bit about the the Robertson Lincoln Montague Capulet feud developing here?
0: (laughs) I think the rest of this book is really interestingly structured and I really enjoyed it. You know, let this be another repeat of us saying, hey, the Peter Parker stuff was really fun because you've got this kind of almost like dual parallel story structure here, not just between Lonnie and and Robbie, both confronting their kids about their romantic relationships, but also then those kids talking to their friends about the relationships and I thought this was really great. I mean, you have the kind of like fathers telling them to end the relationship, which of course is only going to spur them further together because that's how this stuff works. And uh, and I like that Lonnie, you know, and, and his daughter they like point that out. But then there is this great, you know, double page spread of the history of Robbie and Lonnie together, and what a what a double pager! I mean, this is Vincent Atini really going for it. I do think there was a missed opportunity to have some narration here or editor's notes that like lays out where you could find this story or what this story was about, because, you know, as great as this story is, I don't see it referenced ever or reprinted or really mentioned on greatest stories of all time lists that you could expect somebody to have read this. And I just don't know why the editor doesn't be like, Hey, go read spectacular Spider-Man. I don't, as great as the artwork was for someone who knows that story very well, I I look at this and I think if I didn't know anything about this, this would not clear it up to me. It looks crazy. Like, why are they in farmer's attire? Why the hell is Robbie
1: stabbing tombstone with a pitchfork? (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: So I I, I don't know. I mean, I I bet there's plenty of casual readers that are like, I guess something must have happened between these guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, let's be honest. That's been kind of one of the great great crimes of this entire run so far has been these kind of references to to great stories past but without the full context of what am i reading here i mean we get it i mean with all that said like i mean just to kind of go back to your original point i mean you know spider-man and his role in this book and you know what kind of happens what what's been consistently happening when spidey seems to take a back seat i i i and I know you're not saying this here, but for me, like like all of this Lincoln and Robertson stuff worked beautifully because, I mean, and maybe some of it is colored by the context of those older stories, so I get a different level of appreciation out of it. But like, I don't know, like I, I, I care about the stakes with these characters a lot, you know? Like it's just, I mean, maybe it's just the history. Robbie in particular is a character that I feel like almost... You know, kind of like Jonah he's almost universally always been done well by creators like you know like so you, you th- there's just a lot of stock in the character and Tombstone I mean obviously some have done more with him than others but like I, I, I felt the history and the stakes coming through here and th- a lot of this rang true and then you know there were these kind of you know crazy insane stakes attached yet at the same time at the root of the problem was something very relatable and common in terms of well you know what do you do when two people are with each other who maybe shouldn't be with each other and you know what are the reasons behind it like you know the scene that kind of followed up the the backstory illustration showing you know kind of randy and janice each with their respective group of friends if you will if you call this, the the syndicate friends for Janice kind of talking about like what the other sees in them kind of a thing and what their intentions are like, like, I don't know like that, that felt real, that felt real to me from like a, oh, this, this, this is how real people talk and interact and think about each other. And, and, and it, it just worked for me in terms of some character work here. I felt this was some of the better out of suit character work that we've gotten from Spencer in the entirety of this run, frankly.
0: Yeah, and even the Peter, Robbie, or Randy stuff, I think is like really intimate. Just the two of them eating food and, you know, uh, Peter leveraging his knowledge uh, as Spider Man to influence his friend's life. You know, that that's a very uniquely Peter thing that he's able to do in this instance. And the kind of story that Peter seems to continually run up against, which is like, my, why are all my friends getting involved in superheroics? And his desire for that to not happen. And yet he's supportive of his friend. And I, yeah, I don't know. I just think like the the writing for Peter has been, you know, here we are saying this again. The writing for Peter has been back in form ever since we got done with the event. How much these events actually impact, they end up pulling us away from Peter, which end up impacting the overall quality of the book. So, you know, again, like it's these smaller things that bring it all, all back together. You know, before we get too far ahead, you know, we we had this scene where like after the fight between the owl and Hammerhead breaks out, you know, Peter's this kind of duty to his new threats and menaces suit. And so he goes off and signs autographs and does all the things with Jonah. And, you know, I think it's fun. But I do think like the fun of that suit should ideally not come from like the kind of Uh, To me, this felt kind of divorced from the action. Like, okay, I'm done with that. Now I'm going to go do this suit plot beat. And, you know, for me, the fun of that, I think, ideally comes when those worlds meld together, when he's got the stakes of trying to save the world. But meanwhile, he's got the pressures of doing an ad, you know, especially if maybe the suit malfunctions because they're not making the revenue that's needed to support its high tech or there's got to be something smarter about how this suit is showing up other than it just being a dangling plotted uh, device. I I feel like we're still not really getting into the full potential of what this suit could do as fun as it is. Uh, I'm hoping that it becomes integrated into the rest of the drama instead of being its own side thing.
1: I guess for me, maybe I'm <laughs> kind of grading on a curve here. It, 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 it at least was a step in the right direction because I felt like they were acknowledging it. Whereas last issue, they did not, which was kind of weird because it was only introduced two issues prior to that. But yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's still kind of, like you say, it's a plot device more than anything else. It's not really being seamlessly woven into the narr- narration here. But yeah, you know, I'm willing to kind of give it some more time. And and again, you know, I, I hate to be so shallow about it, but like, I really liked just how spider-man moved in it and how he looked in it in this this go-round versus some of the even the first two issues with gleason which is again like nothing against gleason he's awesome but like i don't know like i like like i feel like vincentini kind of played up this suit seemed to pop a bit more under you know the way it was kind of penciled and inked here just my my two cents
0: yeah, I love how the kind of, like, uh, the eyes emitting light when he turns quickly. Like, Vincentini draws, like, the streaks of light being trailed behind the eye. There is some, like, kind of fun, you know, motion stuff here. And it does feel, you know, I, I we, we've made fun of the, they're like, it's stronger, faster, and shoots webbier. Here, I, I liked that, like, it does actually, like, look stronger in how Vincentini draws it. It doesn't just feel like another Spidey suit. Although I don't really understand what's up with this like web web blast thing. I'm forgetting the name they use for it where they they're like, was that the web sauce or whatever? <laughs> web sauce. Everybody seems to be aware of this special web move that he's doing. And I still don't understand what makes it so special. And then it seems to be pardon me for being crass. Him like blowing his wad all at once on, on everybody. Well, and I would be is. the first person to make that comparison. <laughs> I know. This is this is the kind of like chef's kiss comment that you're waiting for me to say, but yeah, everybody just <laughs> turned their podcast off right
1: right there and then. So I apologize. Well, w- w- with that in mind, why don't why don't, why don't we uh, accelerate a bit so Randy and Janice get together and immediately, you know, Randy's like, "Oh, you can't change," and she's like, "You're trying to change me," which is of course like what the two friends what we, each friends were saying about the other. And they look like they're about to break up, but then the first appearance is the Crime Master. Do we know who, which Crime Master this is? I, 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 I lose track. I, I was pretty sure the Crime
0: Master being Betty's brother. I'm forgetting his name right now. I want to say, like, Brian Brandt, but that's not right.
1: It might still be him. I don't I don't remember.
0: So, I, I don't know. Maybe this is a Hobgoblin costume kind of thing?
1: Oh, it could be. It could be. It just, you know, like...
0: Apparently he's operating off of Staten Island, which like seems about right for the Crime Master.
1: Yeah, it's about uh, yeah. I think that's about the, the the best land he can take at this point.
0: In order to attack New York City, his henchmen have to take
1: the ferry. <laughs> you know, then we have Spidey and Boomerang show up, and then Madame Mask shows up. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised because she was. In that rogues gallery image from a few issues ago, right? Like that's not a that's not a shock, right?
0: No, yeah, she she was there. I mean, Janice kind of fangirls. We also learned that Spidey and Boomerang have almost finished collecting the Lifeline tablet again. I'm not sure how. And uh, yeah, <laughs> like I get. I guess the issue ends with the apartment blowing up, which is all kind dead. of like. This yeah, is how it ends. I'm guessing Spider Man's gonna pull that web whatever it is to to save them all. But then but then additionally, like, isn't this par for the course for Peter and blown up apartments? I mean, how many apartments has he lived in that like haven't burned <laughs> down or blown up in some shape or form? I will never rent
1: you again, Peter.
0: <laughs> the question is this time did he save the wino from from the apartment burning down?
1: oh right right and what about gog what's going well he's with mj right so so we don't have to worry about him right
0: i guess so i guess I, I misunderstood that mj was like maybe in her own apartment i don't know i guess she took gog back to her apartment
1: that was my takeaway but yeah i mean anyway so that's, so be that's it. the comic that's the comic it happened it was fun what do you want to you want to get to a grade here
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. I I think we glossed over kind of like the best part of the comic a little bit, which is like, oh,
1: which is what (laughs) What did I gloss over, Dan?
0: (laughs) Well, no, nothing, nothing, nothing in particular. I just mean like these conversations between the friends and stuff were really artfully, you know, paced with each other and finishing each other's sentences. And that doesn't really make for great recapping. You know what I mean? Like, I just thought it was really, really well written. And Uh, you know I think it's I think it's easy to say that like uh, you know one of the things we've gotten accustomed to with Nick Spencer is look for all of our maybe pacing problems or whatever he writes really great fun dialogue and this book allowed him to do that yeah
1: well I had said I had said that this was some of my favorite character work I I guess in my brain like you said it's hard to kind of recap exactly what it was but like that was kind of part of it I mean like I, I just felt everything having to do with Janice and Randy and their interactions both with each other but also independent of each other and kind of how that was framed together was really well struck and well well crafted I mean like it's good dialogue but it's also just good framing and good pacing like you say and you know it's it's not a huge it's not a huge moment by any stretch but like I feel like if this run was filled with more of these kind of little smaller moments I I probably would be so we'd come across as a little shinier and happier about where this run has been for the past couple of years, but I mean, let's like we don't have to get into the past per se. But point being, this was this was good stuff. This was good character stuff. This made me care more about these characters that I already care a lot about, and and I can't can't fault anything for that.
0: Well, I I think you took my comment as more of a critique of our review, which it wasn't intended to be. Because, like, I I don't think we really missed talking about it. But I, I wanted to use this to highlight, like, this comic is longer than a standard comic, right? It has extra pages in it. I do think that those extra pages give you the room to do the scenes that we liked so much. And... I do think that this book and, and maybe it's all of Spider-Man comics has always been just a few pages shy to, to not really be able to include that character stuff, you know, in lieu of just solid plot. And I think truly this is what it needs is these few extra pages to make it sing. I mean, could you edit this down? Yeah. I could probably find places to trim things here and there, but it it's that extra padding that like gives it the room to actually be what it should be. For a Spider Man comic. And you know, we got this big giant size thing coming up. And the more and more like I think at first I was very cynical about that. Like, well, here's another giant size. But it's like, hey, look, if that's what it takes to get like to create a good book, like and it's gonna sell, like, then great. Let's give me the give me the more expensive book that is better and makes me leave happy. Anyway, uh, my my grade on this is a solid B. I could probably be convinced of a B plus. It was a real it was a good, fine Spider Man comic.
1: I I am I'm gonna as a change of pace, Dan. I'm gonna go a notch higher than you. I'm gonna give this the B plus. I I I think yeah, there was just something about it that it worked. The art was great. The character work was great. Like you said, I mean that's a great point about the length having a, an impact on how this story was told. If every single issue of this run read like this, I would be a very happy person right now. So all
0: it would probably be an all time run. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is,
1: you know, like I, I, I wish we've, we had more stories like this uh, leading up to this. So so great stuff. Well, otherwise, Dan, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So while we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk.
0: This episode was edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumser, And our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxon, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence in these reviews while joining us on the live stream... Why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? But Mark, everything's coming to an end here. So we always like to end with our motto. So Mark, until our annual battle blows up and it starts a lifelong hatred for each other and our children start dating my, my non-existent daughter, dating your <laughs> existent son. So I don't know what the world this is. Inevitably reigniting the, our hatred for each other over the
1: annuals. What's our motto? that is that is one hell of an intro dan uh our motto is of course with great podcast there must also come the amazing spider talk don't,
0: don't miss the next